Good morning. Let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together today. We thank you for the great gift of your Son, for the forgiveness of our sins, for your words so that we can learn more about you, for sharing all that there is. You share so much with us so that we can live our lives. But Lord, we, we know we must continue to worship you, continue to learn more about you, not because we have to, but because we want to. Lord, we dedicate this service to your son, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Well, good morning. Well, let's worship our Lord. Uh, you know, um, I'm going to try to do uh, a little something in addition to this um, anthem because uh, there was uh, many years ago after I was first saved the song that I heard about was something that really touched my heart so after the devotional I'm going to try to pull off a little bit of something for you so <clears throat> be praying for me the anthem of his name more than 2,000 years ago on the night the world would come to call Christmas a young Jewish maiden went through the experience that countless mothers had before. She brought forth a child. But this birth was like no other in the history of the human race. For one thing, this child had no human father. As the angels had promised, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. In humble obedience, the Virgin Mary responded, let it be me according to your word. But it is also like no other birth because the one who was born. This was no ordinary child. This was the unique son of God sent from heaven to save us from our sins. Amid the glitter and the busyness of the season, don't lose sight of the miracle of the first Christmas. With the wise men, let us fall down and worship him. The hope for today, Christ came with a mission. The cradle was always about the cross. God came in the flesh to save his people, and nothing was going to stop him. If that doesn't inspire us to be in awe, then we don't understand Christmas. Born to die upon Calvary, Jesus suffered my sin to forgive. Born to die upon Calvary, he was wounded that I might live. On the night Christ was born, just before break of morn, as the stars in the sky were fading, o'er the place where Jesus lay, fell a shadow cold and gray of a cross that would humble a king.
37, 1 through 8. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, 
and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. So, if you'd like to stand with me, we can say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. 
Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything else. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Good, good message, huh? All right, we have our responsive reading. O oh God of Elizabeth and Mary, you visited your servants with news of the world's redemption and the coming of the Savior. Make your hearts leap with joy and fill our mouths with songs of praise that we may announce glad tidings of peace and welcome to the Christ in our midst, shepherd of Israel with the apostles, prophets, and saints. Save us, restore us, and lead us in the way of grace and peace that we may bear your promise into the world. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, you have created the universe. You spoke it into, into being. And you set everything in motion. And Lord, uh, nothing is still. It is, all, it is all there because you put it there and because it, it moves just as your spirit moves through us. And Lord, let us all, let us all remember that the, the, the ultimate gift that you gave. So as we give our gifts today, please bless them and help us to use them wisely. Lord, to further your kingdom, to grow ourselves in, in our faith with you and to be able to reach out to others and touch them also. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you like to rise for the doxology? I feel so Good morning. Good morning. Lord's good, isn't he? Let's, um, uh, today I want to talk to you about uh, the fall of man. And then, uh, so as not to leave you there, <laughs> we're going to talk about how Christ became the answer to that fall. And, uh, and partly that's because it's getting close to Christmas and we want to talk be talking about Jesus, so, and I promise you, next week we'll 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 do a more Christmassy theme. You know, but uh, but I do want to, I you know, the fall is a Christmassy theme. I mean, 
you know. If it weren't for the fall, we wouldn't have Jesus, and uh, we, wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't be celebrating this. So, Anyway, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you and praise you for your goodness. I pray for the anointing of your Holy Spirit. Lord, uh, we thank you that you, that you give us words of encouragement, words of reproof, words of instruction, and I pray that you'll speak to each and every one of us. We thank you for the coming of Christ. We thank you for who you are and what you've done. And we thank you for this time of year. Prepare our hearts, Lord, to receive the coming King. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so we're going to be covering Genesis 3, 1 through 10 today. Now the serpent was more crafty. Do we have? Yes, we do. Than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, Oh, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Oh, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. I mean, this is great. All the wonderful things are going to happen to you. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree... That was a paraphrase. Um, <clears throat> when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, that is the man. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So, first thing we want to talk about is that what we call the temptation, the temptation of um, both Adam and Eve, but mainly of Eve. And it says the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals. And the word in the Hebrew means, can mean both crafty in a good sense, um, you know, shrewd and crafty and wise, but it can also mean crafty in a negative sense. I mean, we use it in kind of the same way. You know, we can be shrewd and be evil, or we can be shrewd and be good. And the word in the um, Hebrew for serpent was, it means the shining one or bright. And so it... it um, Satan, we believe, was a fallen angel, and he was bright and, and uh, you know, uh, incredible. It says in Ezekiel 28, this is what the sovereign Lord says, you were the model of perfection. Now, this is the primary subject here is the king of Tyre, but we believe it also applies to Satan, um, you know, by an extension of that. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. That's why we believe it's, you know, it applies to Satan. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Your heart became proud, uh, skipping to verse 17, on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made you a, a spectacle of you before kings. So we believe that Satan was, was uh, beautiful. He was perfect in beauty. He was blameless until wickedness was found in him. And it says that his heart became proud 
on account of his beauty. And he was corrupted. In Revelation chapter 12, it says, The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So we see clearly in the book of Revelation then that this, this serpent in the, um, in the garden then was Satan himself, even though he was in the form of a serpent. And then it says in verses 1 through 3, He the serpent said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. So Satan uses two primary methods of beguiling Eve. And the first is he put doubt in Eve's mind. And he said, did God really say? You know, like, wow, um, who is this God anyway? You must not eat from any tree in the garden. And he distorts it a little bit. You must not eat from any tree. No, God didn't say you must not eat from any tree. Uh, he said you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then Satan twists and, and takes Eve's uh, response and who says, Eve says, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must, not, you must not eat fruit from the trees in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, that's not what God said. God said, you must not eat from it. It's okay if you touch it. So, part of what happened was that Eve probably touched the fruit, and we don't know that it was an apple. It could have been any, any kind of fruit. We'd, you know, it's not spelled out anywhere that it was an apple tree. Uh, but, you know, it's a, nice, it's a nice guess, but we don't know. Uh, but when she took of that whatever it was, um, and she didn't die, so then she could say, well, you know, I didn't die when I touched it, so maybe it's okay if I eat it. So, and then she says that when you eat of it, you will die. She didn't say, as God had said, you will surely die. Uh, so, yeah, you might die, maybe. You'll probably die, but maybe not. So Satan was introducing doubt into Eve's, uh, into Eve's consciousness. And then he turns to outright denial in, in verse 4. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so he starts out with doubt, and then he turns to outright denial. You're not going to die. God doesn't know what he's talking about. John, and deception oftentimes builds on half-truths, doesn't it? And that's the hardest thing about deception is that it comes with with. You know, it sounds pretty good because there's some truth in it. I mean, to look at the cults. And they don't usually come across with some outright lie. It's just a distortion of the truth. John 8, 44. You belong to your devil, Jesus. You belong to your father, the devil, Jesus says. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. 
In other words, he can't speak any other language. That's the language he grew up with as a result of, uh, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And, you know, one of the things that really bothers me in this age, and I see it all over the place all the time, is that there is such biblical illiteracy. Have you noticed that in our culture today? Uh, even in the churches, there's a lot of biblical illiteracy. People just simply don't know the Word of God. And if we don't know the Word of God, we, we, we're not going to catch the half-truths. And so Satan can come along, and he can twist God's Word just ever so slightly, and we start to think, well, yeah, maybe that's what the Word says, if we don't know what the Bible says. You know, they say with, with counterfeiters, um, they, teach counterf they teach people who are spotting counterfeits, they teach them all about what the real thing is. And when they, when they are sufficiently schooled in, the, in what a real you know, $100 bill looks like, when they see a counterfeit, they'll recognize it instantly because they know the true thing. Well, it's the same kind of thing with God's Word. If we know God's Word you know, really well, then we're not going to be believing those deceits and half-truths that Satan comes with. But unfortunately, we live in an age when I, I mean, I'm amazed sometimes as I look at what people are believing. I mean, they're just all over the map. And you think, well, you know, if you even knew just a little tiny bit of God's word, you would know that that is simply not true. Psalm 119, verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Well, Eve then takes the bait. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She, gave, she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Now, we don't know what Eve's motivation was. You know, we're, we're, there, there's something wrong in Eve's heart. But we don't know what it was. We don't know whether it was... And one commentator I, I looked at this week said that maybe she was just naive. Um, because you, you have to remember, there was no deception prior to this. I mean, she lived in a, in a garden, and we don't know how long she was in the garden, but she lived in that garden, and she had never come across deception before. Because there was only, you know, Adam and Eve and God in the garden. And so... We don't know whether she just, you know, she just had never encountered deception, and so she was just simply naive. Now, she should have been tipped off by a serpent talking with her, but she wasn't. <laughs> it's not every day that you run across a talking serpent, but, uh, you know, in um, C.S. Lewis's books, they, he has all the animals talking. Who knows whether when we get to heaven whether the animals are going to talk or we don't know. So be good to your cat, okay? <laughs> but one of the things that happens is that when there is no deception, we can, um, it's easier to be deceived. It's easier to, 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 uh, to trust. And we were in a dinner party, oh, I think it was last year, and one of the ladies in that 
uh, in that dinner party said that she had gotten scammed that week. You know, something that had been a telephone call and she'd gotten scammed and, and she had to close her account and all that kind of stuff. Um, I just had that happen recently to me as well. But, but um, you know, and so people started um, giving different advice and all that sort of stuff. And it occurred to me, and I, I told this to the group, I said, part of what has happened in our generation is that we grew up, um, I think all of us here this morning, grew up in an environment, in a culture, in which we trusted people. I, I mean, am I, am I wrong about that? I mean, it, and we were taught, our parents taught us, you should trust people. Well, what has happened is that it is difficult for us in this, in this generation to make a shift that we can't trust people anymore. Because there's all kinds of scams coming, all kinds of stuff. Our culture is, is being corrupted and going downhill, and it's hard for us to make that kind of transition. I, I know it has been for me. I grew up in Ashtabula, Ohio, and you know, I, used to, I used to walk downtown, and I could walk into most stores and say, Hi, I'm Frank Martin, and my dad was Frank Martin, same Frank Wade Martin, same name as mine. And I can walk into the store and say, charge it to dad. You know, people, okay, yeah, we know. Um, and, and we don't live in that kind of environment anymore. Hey, part of it is it was a small town, and this, this is a big, you know, bigger city. But part of it is that we grew up trusting people. We, and we were taught that it was right to trust people. Well, Satan shouldn't have trusted the serpent, right? <laughs> but notice that the pattern of temptation and fall. 1 John 2.15 um, says it this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world... Now, compare this with what we just heard about, about Adam and Eve, about Eve. The cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. So we see that Eve says the further tree was good for food. Well, that's the, the cravings of sinful man, or the fleshly or the bodily, our bodily needs. The second temp part of temptation was the lust of his eyes. She saw that which was pleasing to the eye. And so that's our beauty and sensory delights, the lust of the eyes, and so on. And then the third is the boasting of what he has and does. That, where Eve says it was desirable for gaining wisdom. So I believe that those are three of the areas that we deal with in temptation. We deal with, you know, with just our bodily needs. Um, you know, food and the things that we need and comfort and, you know, all that sort of stuff. The lust of the eyes uh, that we are often tempted and deceived by the lust of the eyes. And the thirsting, third is the boasting of what he has and does, the desire for significance, power, and wisdom without God. It's for earthly wisdom or for position or for power or for significance. So I think our temptation comes in all three of those different areas. 
And we are wired differently. Some of us are more wired to the lust of the eyes. Others are more uh, wired toward uh, significance and wisdom and human wisdom and all that kind of stuff. We all, I believe, have different areas in which we are tempted. And so we need to understand um, and pray to God and ask God to show us how we handle the area that we most of the time are deceived in. Okay, next thing I want you to notice here is that Adam was not deceived. Okay, maybe you've never thought about it that way. Um, he was with, it, with Eve during the whole temptation. It says, she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. So Adam's problem was not deception. Adam had something else going on. 1 Timothy 2.13, For Adam was formed first, then Eve, for, and Adam was not the one deceived, it was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. So what was Adam's motivation? Eve's was she was deceived. Whatever, for whatever reason, she was deceived. What was Adam's motivation? Adam knew exactly what he was doing. Huh? Yeah, disobedience. Um, and he was willing to enter into Eve's sin willingly and purposely for whatever reason. We don't know exactly what the motivation was. Maybe he didn't, maybe he didn't want to, uh, he didn't want to be alone. He didn't trust that, that God would, would help him in that loneliness or whatever it was. Maybe he loved Eve so much by then that he wanted to stay with Eve rather than, you know, he was willing to enter into her sin rather than be alone. We don't know what it was. Well, James 1.13 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So what we're saying here is that when we are tempted, for whatever reason, however you happen to be tempted, and I believe we're all tempted, we're all sinners, we all have that sinful nature within us, but we need to, when we are tempted then, we need to go back to those evil desires. Say, Lord, what is it in me that is responding so that I am tempted the way I am? And I believe God would, you know, that's the prayer that we need to be praying. God, show me what is wrong in my heart that I am tempted by this. All right, so let's go on and talk about the results of the fall. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. <clears throat> but the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I, hear, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So, there's three results that I would like to talk about that we see in this, um, in this original fall of man. And the first is that, the first thing that happened is they were alienated from God. Uh, they heard, they hid 
Prior, prior to this, when God walked in the garden in the cool of the day, they would rejoice to see God coming. He was their friend. He was, you know, he was for them, and they knew he was for them, and they knew that he loved them. Now, that same, those same people are hiding from God. They were alienated from God. So the first result of sin is alienation from God. And I believe that this is the, you know, it's the core of sin is that we are alienated from God. And the chief thing of sin is that it is alienation from God. We are choosing autonomy over God. We are saying, God, you are not going to give that to me. I, you know, I, I, I need to do it on my own. And we are alienated from him. I have told you this before. Uh, but I love this phrase. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. And there's something wrong in our hearts that there's an autonomy and an independence that we have, all of us, and we want to re rely on our own resources rather than on what God gives us. And Adam and Eve chose independence over dependence. That was the problem. And the essence of a sin is autonomy, and that comes from pride. As we talked about earlier, that, that Satan, uh, his, his, his heart was proud. And I believe the Kind of the, the essence of and the path towards sin and temptation is pride in ours, a seeking of autonomy, a seeking of independence, and being not wanting to be dependent on God, wanting to be independent ourselves. God knows that it is sin which separates us from Himself, so He hates sin. You know, and then there's this, this whole thing of God. Loves the sinner, hates the sin. And I found, you know, in our, in our work in Turkey, um, we have, we, both Caroline and I, have an incredible love for the Turkish people. It's just something that God put in there. We were in the Peace Corps there, and so, you know, we, we, we just have grown to love the Turkish people. But I've noticed that the more that we spend time in Turkey, and the more we get to know people and so on, the more that I love the people and I hate the sin and I hate Islam because Islam is drawing them away. I mean, Islam takes people away from God rather than toward God because it's built on, you know, you have to do this and that and so on and so forth. And so people don't fall in love with God. They fear him. That's why you see, you know, uh, terrorists blowing themselves up and hating people. You know, well, that can't be from God that, that you hate people, that if you want to really serve God and really, um, you know, you, you want to be really devoted to him, you go out and kill people. Wait a minute, that's not God. That's not how God is. That's the exact opposite. So the more that we love people, the more that we hate the sin that destroys them. Next thing is we realize that they realize that they were naked. So the first evidence and the first result of the fall was alienation from God. They hid in the garden. The second thing is they had shame and condemnation. 
The eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So the second thing that happens, and this always happens with sin, is that we, we are ashamed of ourselves. We come under condemnation. They hid because they knew that he's the judge and that they would have to give an account for their disobedience, which they did. So they tried to fashion some kind of covering which would hide their nakedness. So they made coverings out of fig leaves. If you've ever been, uh, you've seen fig leaves, or fig, fig trees, right? Uh, they're, they're all over the Middle East. I mean, in Turkey, they grow wild a lot of times. Fig trees do. And the thing about fig trees is the leaves are really big. So you can, you can make a nice covering out of it. Well, <clears throat> but they did that because they were ashamed of themselves. They were condemned. Now one commentator says this, and I'm going to throw this out to you. You can just think about it. I'm not convinced that I'm convinced of this, but I think it's an interesting theory. He says that what happened with Adam and Eve is that they were in kind of a pre-adolescent stage prior to the fall. And at the fall, then they became, uh, there was some kind of hormonal change in them, and they became, <laughs> I see some frowns out there. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> they became, they, they entered, there was a hormonal change. They entered into, into puberty, into adolescence. Now, as I say, I'm not sure I agree with that, but I think it's an interesting theory. And the, the author has some good, you know, some good reasons for that. But the point is that they, before the fall, they were kind of in a pre-adolescent stage. They were naked, you know, young children run around and, and they have no conscious, consciousness of their nakedness. But then when we do go through puberty or through adolescence, uh, then we become aware of our nakedness. And that's where, he, that's where he gets us. Okay, we'll move on from that. Just something to think about. Third thing that happens is fear and inner turmoil. Um, Adam said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So the third thing that comes, <clears throat> first is alienation from God. The second is shame and condemnation for what we've done. The third thing is that there's an inner turmoil that begins within us. Romans 7.22, for in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. Verse 24, what a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. Okay? James 4.1, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? So part of what happens when we sin and when we give in to temptation is there's an inner turmoil that begins to work in us. And dis, uh, disobedience brings a, dis, a dissonance in our heart, an inner turmoil. Well, Christ is the answer to all three of those areas. And that's what I want to spend the rest of our time talking about, is that Christ is the answer for all of this, for our alienation, for our shame and condemnation, and for our inner turmoil. And I introduced that with my daughter's car. Okay. Um, 
Amy had this, this old car, it was a 2002 um, Honda Civic, and it was a piece of junk. <laughs> it, 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 I mean, it looks okay here, but it, it was a piece of junk. I mean, and, and it had over 200,000 miles on it, and almost everything was busted. And, and I kept saying, Amy, there's no sense putting any more money into this car. There's no sense trying to do something with it. You need to just sell it. Get rid of it. Well, she put quite a bit of money into it, and eventually um, she did sell it. We told the buyer exactly what was wrong with it, and he said, oh, that's fine. <laughs> okay. Uh, but it didn't need a tune-up or a paint job or racing stripes or a new radio, although it needed all of those things. She needed a brand new car. And, and in that same kind of way, we don't need a spiritual tune-up. Okay? We don't need racing stripes. And we don't need a new radio. We need a new nature. We need to start all over. There has to be a brand new creation. It's not going to do any good to try to patch up something that is radically broken on the inside. And that's what Christ came to do was to bring us into a relationship with God and give us a new heart and give us a new nature so that, and we had to start all over again. We have to start all over again. And so many people say, well, you know, I'll go to church and, you know, I'll, I'll be a good person and I'll make a New Year's resolution and I'm not going to do that anymore. Well, probably you are. Okay? And so what is needed is not a tune-up. You need a new nature. You need a new car. Colossians 1.21, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ came along, and the first thing that Christ did was that Christ reconciled us back to God. We're a new creation. Christ took our sins upon himself and, and took those sins to, to the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins because we can't do it by ourselves. That's the whole point of it. The whole point is that God had to send his Son because we couldn't do it by ourselves. There's something wrong inside. There's something wrong in the mainspring. There's something wrong deep inside of us. And we can't do it by reformation. We can't do it by trying to do a better job. We can't do it by making New Year's resolutions. We need a new nature. And we had to have an answer for our sins. That's the problem is... We cannot, we cannot enter into God's presence with that load of guilt and shame and sin that's on our shoulders. We need a new start. We need, a new, we need to be a new creation. So Jesus' birth was God reaching out to us. That's the whole nature of Christmas is that God said, okay, you can't do it by yourself. 
And you will never do it by yourself. And God had to take the initiative through sending Christ be born in Bethlehem for our sins in order to take our sins upon him. And as he hung on that cross, Jesus said, it is finished. It's done. Tetelestai. It's finished. I've completed the work that God sent me to do. Which is to bear our sins so that we can be reconciled back to God. We don't have the means to get, get there. We needed the forgiveness of the sins. We needed a cleansing from unrighteousness in order to approach God's throne. And that's what Jesus did. Second thing is that Jesus freed us from shame and condemnation. Romans 8.1 Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Christ took that sin upon himself. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering, and so he condemned sin in sinful man. We could not get to Christ with, with that load of sin. And so Christ condemned sin. He condemned that sinful nature that dwells within us. Prior to coming to Christ, we are condemned, guilty, enslaved, depraved, lost, living in darkness, and unable to see our way out of the bondage to which we belong. And we can't deny our guilt or try to cover it up or pretend it doesn't exist or drown it out with alcohol or drugs. Our guilt is real, not perceived. All right? And modern man, and what we see in our culture is all kinds of attempts to somehow deal with the guilt feelings that we face. What Christ did is that Christ, our, see the problem is, it's not that we feel guilty, the problem is we are guilty. Mankind is guilty. And it's not just that we, you know, somehow we don't feel good about ourselves. <clears throat> we aren't good. That's the whole nature of it. That's why Jesus had to come. We are not good people. And I think what we're seeing in our day, a whole lot of, is that people are realizing, well, wait a minute. I really am, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really a mess here. I, you know, we've had... Uh, um, one of the things that I found with so many people that we talked to coming out of the Middle East, um, and, and we asked them, you know, why, and, and why are so many people coming to Christ in the Middle East right now? And people are saying, and I've heard this, many, many people have said the same thing to me. We've seen Islam, we see what Islam is all about. And we realize that we really are sinners. There's something really deeply wrong in us. And so people are coming to Christ. There's just a major move of God in the Middle East. Well, the third thing that Jesus did was to free us from bondage. Romans 7, 22 through 25. We read 22 and 23, and I'll read them again. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making prisoner of the law of sin at work within my, within my members. Okay, and then this whole this whole litany of 
you know, inability to do it ourselves, Paul gives us in Romans. And then he says in verse 24, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? In other words, you're not going to be able to do this. Who can do it? If you really look realistically at who man is and what's wrong on the inside, we cannot do it. Thanks be to God, verse 25, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. And God offered nothing less to Adam and Eve than the privilege of freedom and the joy of dependence. All right, get that. He, what God gave Adam and Eve in the beginning was the privilege of freedom. They were absolutely free. But they were only free in dependence upon him. And they said, they said, you know what? We want our independence. And mankind fell. And what the gospel says is that people chose, Adam and Eve chose, a far more costly dependency on themselves and their own resources. And that sets the stage for the coming of Christ is that, is that they said, we want to be independent from God. We want to make our own decisions. We want to be autonomous. And so they said, we will trade our, we will trade um, our dependence upon God for independence and what they didn't realize is that their independence from God is actually bondage. And that's the message we have to share with people, is that the problem is when we seek independence from God, we become slave to our own sin. We are sinners. There's something wrong inside of us. And it isn't that we get to be free and we can make our own decisions. No. We actually go into a deeper bondage when we are independent from God than when we are dependent on God. It's actually, in God, we are actually free. One commentary says this, the trouble with this freedom is that it is slavery to the powers of evil. Its glittering promise is the same old lie. Its wages lead to personal dissolution and death. 1 Peter 2.11 Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. That's what they didn't realize. That's why they felt they fell for the deception. And they didn't realize that sinful, obeying your sinful nature actually makes you a slave to sin. And that's the whole problem. So dependence on God is actually freedom from the things that bring us into bondage. Choice brought Adam and Eve into bondage to their sinful nature. But now, we as New Testament believers, we now, choice brings us into freedom from the sinful nature. We equate freedom with independence and cannot imagine a freedom with dependence. But that's because dependence on God is actually independence from the slavery to our own sinful nature. 
key thought is that we are already slaves. Those who depend on themselves and their own understanding actually are slaves to their own sinful nature. So instead of saying no to God, let's say no to our own pride that keeps us from being willing to admit that we can't get to God by ourselves through our own efforts. And that's the message that we have to give to this generation is you are slaves, you don't know it, but you are actually slaves to your sinful nature. You are slaves to Satan. You've trusted Satan more than you trusted me, is what God says. So Jesus came along to free us from our sin, to free us from sin and sin and con, or from shame and condemnation, and to give us dependence on God, which is freedom from that turmoil that's within us, that sinful nature that dwells in each one of us. That's why Jesus came. Amy did eventually get a new car, and you can eventually have a new life. <laughs> That's the message that we have to give to this world. We three kings of Oriental.
<laughs> Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the message today to remind us that we are fallen beings, that we, we sin, and that your Son, you sacrificed him as a perfect gift so that we would not have to pay for those sins through uh, ever again. So, Lord, there needed to be both sides. Without, without the fall, there would not have been the need for your son to be sacrificed and that he would give that sacrifice freely. So, Lord, we thank you again. We take into our hearts the message that we heard today. And um, thank you for all that you do. This we, we say in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, be with us till we meet again. By his counsels, guide uphold you. With his sheep, securely fold you. God, be with us till we meet again. Go in peace.